John chapter 16. We're going to begin reading at verse 7. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will speak on his own authority, or not speak, sorry, on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let me pray. Father, we ask that as we consider you, our triune Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we consider what it is that Jesus is saying about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to be faithful to your word. You would help us to speak where your word speaks, to be silent where you are silent. Pray that your spirit would illumine our minds so that we might understand who he is and what he does and so rejoice in him as the one who unites us to your son so we might have fellowship with you, our Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I don't believe it's an exaggeration to say that many people are confused. They're confused about who the Holy Spirit is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's generally seen as some kind of a force, some spiritual substance or force that moves about or some kind of a power that you tap into. He's often seen as a being who can be manipulated by my faith or maybe as a a private spiritual guide who, who sort of whispers sweet nothings into my ear. And, and there's much craziness with regard to the Holy Spirit. Churches are often judged. Churches are often judged, and you may have done this. I know I did this in the past. Churches are often judged by folks as to whether the Holy Spirit is really there. And how do people often judge the presence of the Holy Spirit? I think it's a good question. Is the Holy Spirit in this church? The problem is, the basis upon which we judge the church as to whether the Holy Spirit is there. And and how that's usually done is this. The primary mark of the Holy Spirit is usually being assessed by people as found in supernatural manifestations or a kind of general silliness of behavior that's seen as exercising spiritual gifts. The emphasis comes in knowing the presence of the Holy Spirit in spiritual gifts rather than in their end, the fruit of the Spirit, which is holiness. Few people are really asking 
whether the Holy Spirit's presence is known because there are, in fact, people growing in holiness. Do you hear that? He's called the Holy Spirit. So perhaps one of the ways to judge whether he's present at churches are the people there growing in holiness. The question is usually, how emotionally charged and moving is the worship service? Rather than how Christ-centered and Bible-saturated is the worship service. And since the Holy Spirit's primary work is to witness to Christ, and since this is where the Holy Spirit is said to speak, we might wonder why it is that we're asking questions about how emotionally charged the worship service is as a basis for whether or not the Holy Spirit's present, rather than do they teach this word and does through this word do they point to Christ? And though many of you may recognize, I'm sure many of you do recognize, that what often masquerades as the work of the Holy Spirit is just a kind of baptized paganism, I wonder how many of us really understand who he is and what he does. In other words, we're good at pointing out what the errors of others are. You know, what the counterfeit spirits are. But have we really spent time hearing what the Bible has to say about him. In fact, what he has to say about himself and the word. Do you really know who the Holy Spirit is and what he does? Not, are you able to critique how other people don't seem to know? Do you really know who he is and what he does? Now, in fairness, the Holy Spirit is the person who seems the most mysterious to us, isn't he? He seems the most mysterious to us. I mean, the persons of the Father and the Son are more familiar concepts for us to get our bearings on. We know what a Father is. We know what a Son is. And so there's, it's easier to grab our bearings around that. But the person of the Holy Spirit is so mysterious to us. And yet, ironically, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity with whom we have the most immediate contact. You ever stop and think about that? The Holy Spirit is the one with whom we have the most immediate contact, and yet he is also at the same time the most mysterious to us as a person. But we need to, uh, to work to understand him. That's what our series that we've been doing on contemplating our triune Lord is about, working to understand who God is as one God and three persons, as three persons and one God, and to understand that we need to understand the persons. And one of the persons we need to spend time understanding is the Holy Spirit. So, who is he? Now, what does the Holy Spirit do in his works among us? What does he do? Those two questions. Who is he? What does he do in his works among us? These are two questions I want to look at over the next two weeks in John's gospel. Now, I was supposed to take the Holy Spirit in one week, but I realized this is such a huge topic that most of us are so wildly unfamiliar with that I decided to break it into two questions, and here they are. Week one today, who is the person of the Holy Spirit? Week two next week, what is the work of the Holy Spirit or the mission of the Holy Spirit? Now, I want you to understand I was tempted to take the two questions together because they're super interrelated with one another. In other words, he is who he is, therefore he does what he does. And it is what we see him doing that tells us who he is. You guys follow me on that? But I'm going to distinguish those two questions um, so that we can 
not be here until sometime mid-afternoon, okay? So we want to start with who is the person of the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Look at John 16 and verse 1. I'm just going to read through verse 4. I don't have time to exegete all of verses 1 through 4, but let me get the general nature here. I have said all these things to you. Now notice, Jesus just said, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. In other words, I'm telling you all these things so that you persevere. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And who is he? The Son. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. In other words, here's the thing with Jesus saying. He's speaking to the apostles. He's in the last week of his life. In fact, this is the last night of his life. And he's preparing the apostles apostles for his going away. He's saying, I'm going to go away. But there's going to be a lot of difficulty that's going to come for you. And so I've been teaching what I've been teaching you the last few chapters. I've been teaching you this so that you might not fall away. So that you'd be prepared for that hour in which I'm gone. So what has he said to them in these last few hours? Well, he's been teaching them that he's about to depart to be with the Father. He's about to depart to be with the Father. So look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13 and verse 33. Little children, sorry my, for my voice there. <laughs> Just made him into like some kind of old mom, right? <clears throat> little children, yet a little while and I am with you. You will seek me, a little, little while while I'm with you, you will seek me And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now look at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. In other words, Jesus is leaving to go somewhere. Now we know he's going to ascend to the Father. He's going to the cross, his resurrection on the third day, and ascending to the right hand of the Father. And he's telling them, I'm about to leave you. And he's preparing them for that leaving. And he has consoled them and called on them in these three chapters, if you will, to trust in him even as he departs from them. I'm going to leave you. You can't follow me where I'm going now. But trust me. I'm actually going to prepare a place for you and I'll return and take you to that place. Look at what he says in John 14 verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, why would their hearts be troubled? I think sometimes one of the disservices we do in breaking up the Bible into chapter and verse is we, we miss the fact that the, this is one continuous narrative here. Or in this sen- section, um, a, a didactive section, a section in which Jesus is teaching. And this teaching in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1, corresponds to chapter 13. But sometimes mentally we see the chapter marker and we think we're getting a whole different thing. But look at what it says there. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's talking about, don't be troubled because I'm going to depart from you. Why would they be? I mean, here's the apostles. They've been walking with him for three and a half years. They think he's the Messiah. He's one of their closest friends. And now he's going to depart and you can't come with me. That would trouble you, wouldn't it? 
And so he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Troubled. Now notice, believe in God. There he's speaking of the Father. Believe also in me as the Son. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In other words, I'm going away. You can't come with me right now. But I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. So just trust me. Trust the Father. Trust his Son. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And I'll come back and take you there to be with me. He's also told them not only is he leaving and, will, and not only will he return as he prepares a place for them, he's going to come back and take them to that place, but he tells them that, there's, that he's going to send another helper. One of the ways in which he comforts them and says, I'm going to send another helper to be with you forever. And thus I won't leave you as orphans, but, but this new helper will be with you. He'll be in you. His name is the Holy Spirit. That's who he is. Look at Chapter 14 and verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Now look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I'm not going to leave you as orphans because I'm going to be in you and so is the Father by the Spirit. He wants them to know that the Father will send the Holy Spirit to comfort them when he's gone as well. Look at verse 25 of chapter 14. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. See, this one is coming to strengthen you. Well, a lot of times we translate this word helper, especially if you look at the King James Version, as comforter. Now, in the English Standard Version, we don't translate it comforter. What they meant in the King James Version was not primarily comforter in the sense that he assuages concerns I have, though that does play out. But they meant comforter in the sense of the Latin, with strength. The comforter, cum forte, with strength. You know, that's not my forte. Playing the piano is not my forte. That's not my strength. Singing is also not my forte. It's not my strength. Okay? I could go on and on and give you examples. Right? There's a whole bunch of them <laughs> that are not my forte. Right? The Holy Spirit is coming with strength. In other words, he's coming to strengthen you. Why do you need to be strengthened? How are you strengthened? He's coming to strengthen. You need to be strengthened because I'm going to go away. And you need strength. And he's coming to strengthen you. How is he going to do it? He's coming to strengthen you by bringing to remembrance all the things that I've taught you, by pointing you to me and what I've taught you. Further, he wants them to know once he's gone, they're going to face persecution from the world. Look at chapter 15 and verse 18. I'm just selecting some things that Jesus is teaching. Chapter 15 and verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That's always comforting, isn't it? 
when the world hates you for your Christianity, well, I hated Jesus first. I feel so much better. But you should. Because it means you're with him and he's with you. He's yours and you're his. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, I want you to know, you're going to face persecution from the world because you're my people when I'm gone. And I want to strengthen you in that. Now look, he goes on to teach them that the Holy Spirit is coming, that they might remain faithful as his witnesses in the face of his physical absence and in the face of the persecution they're going to see. Look at verse 26, or, yeah, verse 26 of chapter 15. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is in this scene. The last night of his life. Going on at some length about the fact that he's departing. He's going to the cross. He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. He's going to be gone. He will no longer be with the disciples anymore. And he wants them to know that there is still a way in which he'll be with them. That he is sending someone to be with them, namely the Holy Spirit, to strengthen them, to remind them of the truth so they might carry along as faithful witnesses. And these are the things he's been telling them so that they'll persevere. Now in John 16, he continues this emphasis on his leaving, on his going back to the Father. He continues the emphasis on the fact that the time of my cross work has come. The time of my cross work to be followed by my resurrection and the ascension of the right of the Father. My return to the Father has come. Look at John 16 and verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now this is funny because they already did ask where he's going. If you look back at John 13 and uh, verse 36... Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And, and if you look down to verse 5 of chapter 14, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not where you're going, know where you're going. How can we know the way? So what does Jesus mean? None of you have asked me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. Is John not recognize, you know, a chapter later that he contradicted himself? No, what's Jesus saying? This is a little bit like um, this twice asking this is not really a question about where Jesus is going, the disciples are asking him. What I'm saying is they're not really asking him, Peter nor Thomas, where are you going? They're not really asking him, why are you leaving? This is more like the complaint of a child when his dad leaves. Have you ever seen it? The child asks, but daddy, where are you going? Right? And you, you taught to tell the child where you're going and why you're going there. They don't care. They're objecting because you're leaving. And that's what's happening here. Jesus is really saying, what you were really asking me because sorrows filled your heart, you haven't asked me where I'm going or why I'm going there. What you're really saying is, you can't leave. We don't want you to go. That's what the disciples had really been saying to Jesus. You're so sorrowful, and your sorrow has kept you from really hearing what I'm trying to teach you. So pay attention. Now look at John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
Now notice this phrase, interesting statement. It is to your advantage that I go away. And then it gives a reason. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now how many of us believe How many of us believe this statement, it is to your advantage that I go away? How many of us believe that we have it better than the disciples had it prior to Pentecost? Right now, we actually have it better than the disciples had it when they were standing physically with Jesus in the room. Anybody really believe that? I mean, how many times have I heard Christians, and even in my past said, Man, it would just be great to be able to walk with the incarnate Son of God and see his miracles and hear his teaching and really know him and, and be friends with him in that way. Um, it's too bad I missed that era. And Jesus says when you say that kind of thing that you're, you're dead wrong. He actually says it's to your advantage if he goes away. Why is that? Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you But if I go, I'll send him to you. Which brings up a whole series of questions. One, why can't the helper come until Jesus goes away? That ought to pop up in your mind right away. That pops up in my mind. Why can't the Holy Spirit come until Jesus goes away? And further, who is this helper? Who is he who's coming? And and why is it better The next question, why is it better for him to come, this helper, the Holy Spirit to come, than to walk daily with the incarnate Son of God? Why is it better? See, these three things ought to come up in our mind as we hear Jesus comforting his disciples and preparing them for his departure. As we hear that, as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, to rise from the dead, to go to the right hand of the Father, We ought to be wondering, how does it comfort the disciples to hear this? What is Jesus telling us? Who is the Holy Spirit? Why can't he come until Jesus goes back to the Father? And why is it better to have him than to walk around with the incarnate Son of God? What I've just provided you is three interrelated questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is meant by the fact that he won't come until Jesus goes away? And how can having the Holy Spirit be better than walking with the incarnate Christ? And these three questions will help us to know who he is and what he's come to do. But I want you to hear this. I'm going to reserve the last two questions until next week as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit. Today, I'm only going to answer this question, who is the Holy Spirit? Next week, I'll take on the questions, why is it? better for him to come? Why is he delayed in coming until until the Son ascends to the Father? Those next week, but this week, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is this helper? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, let's look at the evidence we have in this section of John, and as we do look at this evidence, I want to address this question really in, in two parts, or give you two parts to an answer, one answer, but two parts to the answer of who the Holy Spirit is. First, the Holy Spirit is God. That's the first part. You guys have noticed in the Trinity series, I've been establishing that pretty much every week. The Son is God, one substance, right, with God. And the Son is a distinct person. The Father is God, one substance with God, and a distinct person. Well, the Holy Spirit is one substance 
with God, one substance with the Father and the Son. That's the first part of the answer I'm going to get at. He's one substance with God. He is God. The second part is the Holy Spirit is a distinct person in God. He's a distinct person in God. So let's look at that, the first part. The Holy Spirit is one substance with the Father and the Son. Now I'm going to give you four lines of evidence that they share one substance. Okay? Four lines of evidence that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit share one substance. Here's the first line of evidence. He's called the helper, the comforter. Did you hear that? In the Greek, the paraclete. Or the advocate. He is called that. Now how is that an evidence that he shares one substance with the Father and the Son. Well, look there at verse 7 again. Nevertheless I, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. I, I would start with this. First, just as an implicit argument, it can't possibly be better for the Helper to come if he is not God and Jesus is God. So just start there. If Jesus is the Son of God, God himself, which John has established, then it cannot possibly be better for the Son of God incarnate to go away and be replaced by some spiritual force who is himself not God. But, but look there at the word, the helper. That word we translate ESV, the helper, in the Greek is parakletos, the paraclete, the comforter, the consolation. He's been called this before. Look at John chapter 14 and verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, another paraclete. He's another paraclete. N notice this, another paraclete is coming. Did you see that word in verse 16? Uh, he will give you, the Father will give you another helper. He's already given you one paraclete, the Father has. Now he's going to give you another paraclete. Look at 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. Who is the first paraclete he gave us? Now we'll look at also another writing of John. 1 John in chapter 2. I could have looked at Luke chapter 2 for this, but I decided to look at 1 John because it's the same author. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a parakletos, with the Father. Who is the advocate, the helper, the consolation, the comforter? Who is he? Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the Father has already given us one advocate, one paraclete, one comforter, one helper, Jesus, the Son. And now he's going to give us another. So another who's called Paraclete is being sent by the Father and by the Son now. And he will be with them. Now look again at John 14, 16. And notice this word. I, I emphasize Paraclete there, but I want to emphasize this other part in 14 and verse 16. Again, he will send, he will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Now, this is something you're not going to pick up really in the, in the English text like you do in the Greek. But there are there's at least two different words for another in Greek. One is the word heteros, from which we get the word heterosexual. 
a heterosexual, right, is, is what? It's, it's, a, it's a kind. So this person always is in heterosexual relations because a man is with a woman. They're with somebody who is of a different, right, sex, okay? I don't want to use the word gender. I want to stay away from that because it's more of a social construct anymore than it is a biological one, okay? So a male is a heterosexual because he is with a woman. A man and a woman come together. They have a heterosexual relation because they are different sexes, okay? So that's another sex, woman, man. That's one word, heteros. Another word in Greek is alos. That's the word here. That word alos emphasizes another of the same kind. Another of the same kind. So that this paraclete is another paraclete of the same kind as Jesus Christ. It's another of the same kind. Further, like the Son, the Spirit is one substance with the Father and the Son, and He mutually indwells them. Look at verse 17 and following. I'm going to send you another helper, another paraclete, to be with you forever, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I'll return to that in a bit. But look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, I'm going to come to you. Now, in the past, some have pointed this and said, this is talking about the 40 days post-resurrection. The problem is Jesus is comforting them, not about a 40-day period, but about being with them forever, not leaving them as orphans. It's not, don't worry, I'll come back for 40 days, and then I'll leave you as orphans. Okay? How's he not going to leave them as orphans? Because the Holy Spirit, another comforter, is going to come and be with them. In fact, if you look at verse um, 18 and following, yet a little while, or sorry, verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and what? You and me and I in you. So now the Holy Spirit is coming, and he will be in you, verse 17. He'll dwell in you, therefore I won't leave you as orphans. In fact, I will come and be in you. And I'm going to do that because I'm in my Father. So Jesus, or the Son, is in the Father, and the Father's in him, and the Son will be in you. There's a mutual indwelling between the Father and the Son, and as such, they will indwell the disciples. Now look at verse 17 again. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it either sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So now you're indwelt by the Father and the Son who indwell one another, and you're indwelt by who? The Holy Spirit. So it is the Holy Spirit whom Jesus is saying is going to indwell the disciples, but the Holy Spirit indwelling Jesus' disciples is happening after Jesus goes to be with the Father. And that's possible because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all indwell one another. They are one being, one God, and they mutually indwell one another. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered them, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you are rightly said, now I want you to stop and think about this. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, you're rightly said to be indwelt by the Father and the Son. Because they're one God. 
See, they're one God. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one being. So when one indwells you, they all indwell you. And I don't know if you've stopped to consider much that the triune Lord indwells you. But that ought to blow you away. And you could probably spend the rest of your life just thinking about the fact that our holy triune Lord chose to indwell someone as sinful as me. And how does he indwell you? In the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, Jesus can say, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, this other comforter of the same kind. I'm going to send him to you. He's the same substance with me. He's going to come so you won't be orphans. I'm going to go away to the Father, but when he comes and indwells you, then you can be, it can be said of you that the Father and the Son also indwell you because we mutually all indwell one another. So when one person of God indwells you, God indwells you. All right. That's a lot for you to get your mind around. And that's the first line of evidence. So let me look at the second line of evidence. Second line of evidence. Look back at chapter 16. Chapter 16. And look down at verse 13. I'm going to deal with some of those intervening verses next week, but look down at verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, notice the second line of evidence is he's called the spirit of truth. He's not only another paraclete of the same kind who will indwell you, but he's called the spirit of truth. Now, keep that in mind as you go back to John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way. And the what? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, by the way, you'll find if you go to John chapter 6, which we'll look at next week, that the Spirit is the life. He is life. Jesus is the truth. Who else is the truth? The Holy Spirit is the truth. He is the truth just as Jesus, the Son of God, says in John 14, 6 of himself when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Further, if you look at John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, we're told that this spirit is the spirit of truth. The world can't receive the spirit of truth because they don't see him or know him. The disciples do see him and know him. How do they see him and know him? Because he's with them. Now, how is the Holy Spirit with the disciples who see him and know him? Because the disciples trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is indwelling him, working through him. Thus, they already know the Holy Spirit, for he is with them, but he will relate to them even more intimately, for he will be in them. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit isn't already at work in the disciples, but there's a way in which he is not yet indwelling them, a way of talking about that, that, and I'll explain that next week. This is speaking of the coming and dwelling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He's saying that he's with you now, but he will be in you then. So that's the second line of evidence, i.e., the Holy Spirit and Jesus are both called the truth. 
All right, third, the Holy Spirit only speaks what he hears from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit only speaks what he hears from the Father and the Son. Look at John 16 and verse 13 again. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now notice this phrase, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak. He'll declare to you the things that are come. Notice he's going to guide you into all the truth. Notice that phrase, the truth, not just all truth. All the truth concerning Jesus. Listen, the Holy Spirit is here to tell you about Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not speak about whatever you want to know. Did you guys catch that? He was not sent by the Father nor the Son to speak about whatever you want to know. He isn't like your phone-a-friend. I'd like to know an answer to that. I'll phone up the Holy Spirit and ask and wait for him to whisper in my ear because I want to know, and he's just been sent to do my bidding, right? To speak whatever I'd like to know about? No, he's been sent to speak the truth, to speak about the Son. He's been sent as the Spirit of truth to talk about the truth, Jesus. He only speaks what he speaks on the authority of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit only speaks what he hears. He is not your personal mystic and guide to, into the answers to all your life's questions. So when he guides you, note that he guides you into all the truth, and the tr- truth he's guiding you into regards Jesus' person and work. This is why he only speaks what he hears. You notice who else that's said of in the Gospel of John? The Son of God. He only speaks what he hears from the Father. And now the Spirit only speaks what he hears from the Father. Like the Son, who only speaks what he hears from the Father, so the Holy Spirit only speaks what he hears from the Father and the Son. He will not speak on his own authority as if he's a distinct being from the Father and Son. He only speaks what he hears. Further, he only speaks what glorifies the Son. For he'll take what is the Son's and declare it to the disciples. Look what he says. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what does the Holy Spirit speak? What belongs to the Son? All that the Father has is mine. What belongs to what the Son? Whatever the Father has. <laughs> All the Father has is mine, therefore I said he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. As he guides them into all the truth about the Son and tells them what belongs to the Son, he's also telling them what belongs to the Father, for the Son was sent by the Father and has what belongs to the Father. This is a bit like if I wanted to give you an analogy, and I'm, I'm loath to give you any analogies for the Trinity, but I'll try to take some language um, from the Gospel of John itself and, and attempt to give you some, some bit of analogy here. It's, um, we'll think about it this way. The Son is called the Word of God. The Word is something that's spoken. And who is it spoken from? In this context, the Father. The Father speaks the Word. That's why the Son only speaks what he hears from the Father. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also can be translated the breath of God. And what does breath do? It carries along what? Your words. When you speak, your breath comes out, doesn't it? You exhale when you speak. And so, if, I will by anal- if you will by analogy, what he's saying is, 
The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are so intimately tied together that what is conceived in the Father's mind eternally is eternally spoken as the Word carried along by the Holy Spirit or the breath of God. So that you might say that the Father from creation through redemption is preaching a sermon about the Son and the Holy Spirit is carrying that along. To the glory of the Father. Look back at John 15, 26. 15, 26. But when the Holy Spirit, or the Helper, when the Holy Spirit, the Helper, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, notice he will send him to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, again he's called that there, who proceeds from the Father, he will do what? He will answer all the questions you have in your private prayer life. He will tell you who the one is. He will tell you what job you should have. Is that what it says? He will bear witness about me. What's he going to come do? Bear witness about the Son. Look at John 14 and verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Notice he's, the Father's sending him in Christ's name. In other words, he's being mediated, if you will, through Christ. He's coming in Christ's name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit's going to teach them, the apostles, all things. That doesn't mean that he's going to teach them all knowledge. All things here doesn't mean he's going to teach them about every subject matter. He's going to teach you calculus, and he's going to teach you physics. That's not what it's talking about here. All things is tied to that next phrase. He's going to teach you all things. Be remembrance all that I've said to you because he's coming in my name to bear witness about me. He's going to teach you all the things that have to do with me. From first to last, he comes to speak about, remind you of, bring glory to, unite you to the Son. That's what he comes for. The Holy Spirit's going to teach them all things because there are some things about Jesus they don't yet know. They don't know some things about Jesus' kingdom. He's going to teach them those things. We see that played out in the book of Acts. But here's the point. What does the Holy Spirit come for? From first to last, he's sent to bear witness to Christ, the Son. Now our fourth line of evidence. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and Son as the Son is sent by the Father. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son as the Son is sent by the Father. In other words, as the Son is sent, so the Spirit is sent. As the Son only speaks what the Father speaks, so the Spirit only speaks what the Father and Son speak, etc. Look at John 14 and verse 26 again. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He's being sent, and the Holy Spirit is sent in Christ's name. He comes to speak of the Son and about the Son. The sending of the Holy Spirit is mediated through the Son. Look at chapter 15 and verse 26 again. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me. The Son is sent by the Father. Now we're told that in John 1.14, John 1.18, and John 3.16, that the Son is sent as the only begotten Son of the Father. That's the language that's spoken there. He's the begotten one of the Father. Now we're told in John 15.26 that the Holy Spirit is sent as the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So like the Son, he is sent. Like the Son, 
he speaks what he's told. Like the Son, he glorifies another. Namely, he glorifies the Son as the Son glorifies the Father. He does what the Father and Son do because he's one substance. And because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one substance, all of their works are indivisible. We can distinguish their works, but we can't divide them. They're distinct persons. And so they can be distinguished, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as can their works, but they cannot be divided because they're one substance and therefore their works are indivisible. That's hard to wrap your mind around, but it's just fact. Now let's, let's look at some evidence that they're distinct persons. This is the second major point I wanted to make today is that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person in God. First one, he's the same substance as the Father and the Son. The second one is that he's a distinct person in God. Look back at John 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Now Jesus is distinguishing right on the surface himself from this other Helper, isn't he? He's distinguishing himself right off the... This, these are two different persons. But if I go... I will send him to you. Now, now pay attention to that pronoun. It never says anywhere in the, in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is it. The pronoun used of him is never the neuter pronoun, it. The pronoun used of him is always the masculine singular pronoun, him. He. This paraclete is a he. He's not an it. The masculine personal pronoun is always used of him. This is because he is a person, not a thing or force or mystical power. In fact, the Son is referring to the Holy Spirit as a distinct person here. That's why he will, in John 14, call him another paraclete and call him he or him. He is a distinct person, but the same substance. We have to keep that in mind. Please take the word it out of your vocabulary with regard to the Holy Spirit. He's not a force. He's not a mystical power. He's a person. He has gender, but not sex. That's why I said I didn't want to get into that kind of construct. You follow? Okay. He is a distinct person, but the same substance. Look at chapter 16 and verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He, notice that, He will guide you. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, he hears, he will speak. For he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now notice this. There's he, mine, and the Father on these verses. Here's the Son speaking. He's going to take, he, the Holy Spirit, is going to take what is mine, distinct person, the Son, and what is mine is given to me from the Father, a third distinct person, all right here, one God. He is not the Son, and he is not the Father. He speaks about the Son. He takes what the Father has given the Son and gives it to us. As John 15, 26 said, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, while the Holy Spirit shares common properties with God, because he is God, he can also be distinguished from the Father and the Son. He can be distinguished, we can distinguish the three persons 
of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father is eternally. Now, I want you to hear this. The Father is eternally Father of the Son. John tells us the Father eternally begets the Son. And John tells us that the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father. John also tells us that the Son is eternally the Son of the Father, that He is eternally begotten, and that the Holy Spirit also eternally proceeds from the Son. In other words, John provides this language of the begottenness of the Son and the procession or the proceeding of the Holy Spirit. That's where we get this theological language when we say that the Son is eternally begotten of the Father and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Where do we get it? We get it from the Gospel of John. Isn't words theologians made up? It's right in the text inspired by the Holy Spirit. You might say, my mind struggles to understand what all that means. That's okay. God is incomprehensible. Deal with it. Worship him. Believe what he says. This language is what theologians, though, use to distinguish the Son's personal relation from the Father's personal relation and from the Holy Spirit's personal relation. But what's the difference between being eternally begotten and eternally proceeding from? In other words, he, one is eternally begotten, the Son. The other eternally proceeds, the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? What do we learn about the difference between being the Son who's begotten and being the Holy Spirit who proceeds? What do we know? Here's what John Damascus said. John, Dama John of Damascus is a famous figure in church history, writes on the Trinity quite well. He said this, We have learned that there is a difference between begetting and procession. Notice this assertion. We have learned that there is a difference between begetting and procession. But what the manner of this difference is, we have not learned at all. Does that help you? How about Gregory... Of Nazianzus, he, he, his sermons are fantastic because he always gets right to the point at the end of a comment. Here's what he said. Insofar as he, i.e. the Holy Spirit, proceeds from the Father, he is no creature. He proceeds from the Father, so he is no creature. Inasmuch as he is not begotten, he is no son. You got that so far? He proceeds from the Father, he's not a creature. He's not begotten, so he's not a son. What then is proceeding? You explain, you explain the unbegottenness of the Father, and I will give you a biological account of the Son's begetting and the Spirit's proceeding, and let us go crazy, the pair of us, for prying into God's secrets. <laughs> Hear the answer? You want to try to distinguish and, and understand what? I, you're going to go nuts. In other words, we don't really know. Here's what we know from the Scripture. We know the Father is not begotten, nor does he proceed from another. We know the, Spirit, the Son, sorry, is eternally begotten of the Father. We know the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. Scripture tells us that much. One God, three persons. The church has agreed on this, that while we can't say much more about the processions of the three persons, we can say something about how they relate to each other. Something. We can say what the text tells us. The Father loves the Son as a father loves a son, but as a divine father loves a divine son. So that's where it gets outside of my vocabulary. You follow? He has a paternal love for the son. We know the son loves the father as a son loves a father, but as a divine son loves a divine father. He has a filial love for the father, or filial is just a fancy word for the love a child has for a parent. 
And for most of us, the idea that the father loves the son as a father loves his son, and the son loves the father as a son loves his father, makes some sense. We can grasp that because we have a human analogy, don't we, of fathers and sons or parents and children. But how does the Holy Spirit love the father and the son? And how do they love him? Well, they love him by him proceeding from them both. Is that helpful? Augustine tries to answer that, and I think it answers it without going beyond the text, I think, quite well. If you want to read his book on the Trinity, you can. Um, It is no easy book to read on the Trinity, but um, it is quite good. He tries to answer it from the text of Scripture, and what he does is he goes to the several passages of Scripture that deal with the Holy Spirit being referred to as a gift, and the Holy Spirit being referred to as the one who pours out the love of God for you, etc., etc., and the Holy Spirit being the one in, who dwells in you, and in him dwelling in you, the Father and the Son dwell in you, and the Holy Spirit being the one who glorifies the Son so the Son might glorify the Father, and he comes to these. He comes to the mission of the Holy Spirit, and what he says is, is that the Holy Spirit is rightly to be said to be the bond of love between the Father and the Son. And we see that to be true in the mission of the Holy Spirit as he is shown in Scripture to be sent as the outpouring of their mutual love. He comes as the outpouring of the mutual love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. We see that particularly as we move into John 17, as the Father and the Son love one another and want to glorify one another, and what's the mission of the Son to do? To come as the outpouring of the Father and Son's love for one another so that we might be united to them and so share fellowship with them. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says the love of God, the Father, and the if you will, the grace of the Son or of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all because he is this bond of love between the Father and the Son. But for today, we'll look at his mission next week, the Holy Spirit's mission or work next week, but for today what I've been driving at is the Holy Spirit is the third person of God. I've also argued the Holy Spirit is the person of God who is said to indwell us and thus to bring us into intimate fellowship with the Father and Son. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to the Father through the Son. He brings us in fellowship with the Father through the Son. You guys follow that? But how do we relate to the Holy Spirit? How do we relate to him? How how could relating to him be better than having the incarnate Son with us? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? And that's what we're going to look at next week. We're going to look at it next week because I've gone for 53 minutes And this was the cut version of the sermon. So (laughs) with that, let me finish. We'll look at that next week about the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your Son coming to save us, to purchase grace for us. And we're thankful that you also sent your Spirit, the Holy Spirit who's come, who is God, who has come to indwell us and unite us to your Son and to you through him. We are thankful for the salvation that's ours and only can be ours in you, our Trinitarian Lord. We're thankful, Father, that you loved us and sent your Son for us to purchase grace for us. We're thankful to you, Jesus, that you have come, the Son has come, and purchase grace for us. And we're thankful that you, Father and Son, have sent your Spirit 
to unite us to the Son so that we might know Him, we might know You, be saved, have fellowship with You. Pray help us to understand this and wrap our minds around it to the extent that we can. In Jesus' name, amen.